0: For those of you that haven't been here, all of these services, I've been talking about that. We have a new covenant and a new commandment. And I just want to go back and read some of them. It says in that he saith a new covenant, he hath made the first old. Now that which decayeth and waxeth old is ready to vanish away. And this is talking about the old covenant. We are not supposed to relate to God the same as people did under the old covenant. And yet in our religious system today, people basically uh, embrace the things that Moses said, the things that David said, the way they prayed, the way they begged God not to leave them, the way that they pleaded for cleansing and things. And it is totally different under the new covenant. And yet the average person does not make a distinction. They just run them all together. And because of that, we don't have a full revelation of what God has done for us in this new covenant. And then in John chapter 13 and in verse 34, this is another passage that I've used. And it says, Jesus is speaking a new commandment. I give unto you that you love one another as I have loved you that ye also love one another. I just got through with a gospel truth seminar in Houston where I taught on this verse about loving as I have loved you. And I spent five sessions talking about that. I tell you, this is radical. And most people, they just skip over these words, but there's very few people that love the way that Jesus loved us. Jesus loved you, whether you love him or not, whether you ask forgiveness or not. Did you know God so loved the world? He died for the sins of the people who've rejected him. He died for Hitler, just as much as he died for you. He paid for Hitler's sins. He took the murder of millions and millions of Jews into his own body and suffered the punishment for Hitler's sins. Now that doesn't mean that Hitler's automatically saved because it says you're saved by grace. That's what God does through faith. You have to respond positively and receive it. And there's no indication that Hitler ever received that salvation but Jesus died to forgive his sins just as much as he died to forgive us. He paid the price. Man, that is unbelievable. There's, you know, it says in Romans chapter five, that there's a few people that might die for somebody who's close to them. There are some people that might die for a good person, but none of us would die for our enemy. Nobody would die for a person who hates us. And yet God commended his love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. While we didn't care anything about him, he died for us. To love other people as Christ has loved us would turn most of our lives upside down, right side up. Most of us only love people that are worth loving. And uh, sad to say we've been taught this about God, that God only loves us when we're worth loving. And you know what? You can't give away something that you don't have. If you haven't received an unconditional love, then you can't turn around and love other people unconditionally. And this is the reason that we find so much strife and division among people is because they've never received an unconditional love. They they just wind up reproducing the same conditional love that's been given unto them. We start out with our kids and they come home and sing A, B, C, D, E, F, G, and they do this. And then they say, tell me what you think of me. And you say, oh, we're so proud of you. You're wonderful. When you do good, we heap praises on them and give them rewards, but let them come home with a D or an F. And you know what? To a degree, there's nothing wrong with this because the world system is based on performance and you do need to teach kids that you've got to perform better than this if you expect to receive But that is not the way that God is. God doesn't deal with you based on your performance. He is not rejecting you. And so there isn't a role model. We're trained from the time we're little tiny to think that we only get what we deserve. And I tell you, Christianity, the true gospel isn't fair it's not getting what you deserve. You get what Jesus deserved. Jesus purchased it for you. And if you can stand in who you are in Christ, then you can receive miracles completely separate from what you deserve. Thank you, Pastor Bobby Ray. There's not very many people that believe that. You know, when I tell people that we've seen people raised from the dead and miracles, people immediately become critical because they look at me and I'm not special and I don't have a halo around my head and they, they see flaws and they think, I'm not sure God would use you like that (laughs) because they believe that God uses people because of some inherent goodness, because of some awesome thing on the inside of you. And that is not true, but most people believe this. I remember when I first went to Catherine Kuhlman's meetings. Any of you ever go to Catherine Kuhlman meeting? This is dating yourself. She's been dead for decades. (laughs) But anyway, the first time I ever went to a Catherine Kuhlman meeting, I'd heard about all of these miracles that took place and I was going to check her out. And I was an usher. And so I I got through with my ushering and then I went and the place was packed. And so I went and sat down on the floor right in front of the stage and I could look, I could look her right in the face. And I wanted to check this lady out. And when she came out, if you ever saw Catherine Kuhlman, she was weird. <laughs> she was weird. You know, I'd never met anybody from England at that time. She wasn't from England, but she talked that way and she says, me thanks. And I thought, me Me thanks? <laughs> Over in England, they don't call them migraine headaches. They call them migraine headaches. They just talk different. And she came out talking like that and say, me thinks I hear angels. And she would flit out on the stage. And I was looking at her and I thought, this lady is weird. (laughs) But part of my responsibility, you had to get people out of wheelchairs and out of stretchers and put them into seats to keep the aisles clear, the fire codes. And there was this one woman who... I talked to her and she'd followed Catherine Kuhlman around for six months or a year. And she was down to just skin and bones. I picked her up and she wasn't, she wasn't 60 pounds. I could put my hand around her thigh. And she was just like a Holocaust victim with a skeleton with skin stretched over it. She was as close to dead as any person I'd ever seen. And I had to pick her up and put her in a chair. And when I was sitting down front watching Catherine Kuhlman, this woman came running down the aisle, pushing her stretcher healed. And I thought, I don't know what, I don't know about that woman, but that's got to be God. That's got to be God. And you know what? This is the reason that God, it says he chose the foolish things of the world. In first Corinthians chapter one, verse 26 through 28, he chose the foolish things of the world, base things of the world, things that are despised, things that are nothing to bring to naught, things that are. And the reason he did it was so that no flesh would glory in their flesh, but that God would get the credit. God delights in using people who are hicks from Texas, (laughs) because people look at it and they say, that's got to be God. And he says, that's what I wanted. Amen. (laughs) But we have turned it around to where somehow or another, we think you've got to be good enough to earn God's favor. I'm telling you, some of the greatest miracles I've ever seen in my life, it was in spite of who I was, not because of who I was. And if you are going to consistently see God change people's lives, this is something you've got to learn that you've got to start putting your faith in Jesus and in his goodness and not in your goodness. And it is this misconception that God is only going to move in my life when I become worthy that hinders you. We've got a new covenant now that God moves because of what Jesus did. That's the reason you say in the name of Jesus. That gives you access to everything that God is and has because of Jesus' goodness, not yours. And we have a new command. Instead of you keeping all of these commands and doing all of these things, He just tells you to love other people the way that He has loved you. Man, that is really, really simple. Look over in Romans chapter 1. And in verse 16, this is the Apostle Paul speaking, and he said, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it, the gospel, is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For therein, in the gospel, is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. Did you know that most of that verse, those two verses are lost on us because of religious cliches. We use the term gospel today to refer to anything that has to do with religion, specifically Christian religion. And you will hear people stand up and preach, you're going to hell, repent or else, turn or burn. If you don't repent, you're gonna burn in hell. And they'll they'll say, that's a gospel that's not the gospel. The word gospel means good news. There's no good news in that. Actually, I've actually studied this out and I read a commentary that said that the term, the Greek word that was used for gospel was a word that existed before the Bible was written, but it was a superlative. It was just so over the top talking about too good to be true news. It was something that it was only used twice in all Greek literature that we have outside of the Bible. It was an obscure word that was hardly ever used because there was nothing in life that was nearly too good to be true. So it was a word that existed, but it was never used because it was a superlative. But when the Bible came along and started talking about that, you could have a relationship with God apart from your goodness you didn't have to earn it. You didn't have to atone for your sins. You didn't have to be good enough for God to use you, that God placed all of his judgment upon Jesus and you received the benefits just simply by faith. The Bible took over that word and began to start using it gospel to mean something that is specifically talking about that Jesus paid it all. It is not your goodness. It is not your performance. It is, you don't have to repent and grovel in the dirt for your sins. Jesus has paid everything and all you've got to do is just humble yourself and receive it. That's what the word gospel refers to. We use it today and it doesn't mean much to people because it's been so misused and applied. But when the apostle Paul wrote this, he was writing to people who had come out of the Jewish system and had been under the Old Testament law to where it was just hard You know, I probably won't get there tonight, but I could share dozens of scriptures with you about how that the law killed you. The law condemned you. The law strengthened sin. The law made you guilty. It made you shameful. It knocked you flat of your face. The law was not a good thing. And it's amazing how people think that it is and think that, man, we need to live by the law. The law was given to literally knock you flat of your face, knock you down. So the only way you could look was up and say, God have mercy on me, a sinner. And the Jews were under that. They had counted out how many steps you could take on a Sabbath day. And if you took more steps than that, you could go to hell because you took too many steps on a Sabbath day. John the Baptist was raised by the Essenes, the people that wrote the Dead Sea Scrolls. And part of those Dead Sea Scrolls, part of their ritual was they considered it breaking the Sabbath to have a bowel movement on the Sabbath. And it was against their laws to have a bowel movement on the Sabbath. Some of you think, oh, you come on, be serious. That was it. If you go to Israel today, we were there. and Did you know on the Sabbath, they will not let a Jew tear off toilet paper? You have to have an Arab in the public toilets to give you toilet paper because you can't tear off toilet paper on the Sabbath. That's a that's work. It's still alive and well today. This is the way the people were, and that religious system just stunk. And it was all law. It was all <laughs> that's appropriate, isn't it? <laughs> And, uh, so anyway, it's this religious system that killed Jesus and Jesus came preaching that, you know, it's not the Sabbath wasn't made man, wasn't made for the Sabbath, but the Sabbath was made for man. And Jesus came and violated their religious traditions and their laws. Did you know that the Sabbath was one of the 10 commandments? You shall remember the Sabbath day to keep it Holy. And that was one of the 10 commandments. And they thought that by Jesus uh, picking corn, his disciples gathering corn on the Sabbath day and rubbing it like this to get the husk off so that they could eat the, uh, I forgot what you call it, the germ or something inside. By doing that, they considered that work and that was breaking the Sabbath and they wanted to punish him because he rubbed some grain in his hand. Some of you think I'm making this up, but it's in the Bible. And Jesus broke all of their religious traditions. And there's people today that still are fighting for the Sabbath. Don't forget where I am, okay? Keep your finger here. I will come back to this in the name of Jesus. But let me show you something. And this will be a graphic illustration of how people today still are living under the old covenant and haven't understood the new Testament reality. Turn over to Colossians chapter two. In Colossians chapter two. In verse 13, it says, and you being dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh, hath he quickened together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses I could preach on every one of these verses for hours because again, we just read through these and we don't understand the context and how radical this is. He says, you were dead in trespasses and sins. The religious people thought, no, I'm not dead. I've been living holy. And man, I have a phylactery that I wear around my head. That was where they were commanded in Deuteronomy chapter six to keep the word of God in front of your eyes day and night and meditate in it day and night. So the religious Jews literally put a strap around their head with a little container that held pieces of scripture rolled up in it so that it dangled in front of their eyes and they wore these phylacteries. And because of that, they thought they were holy And they thought that because they wore a robe that had around it holiness unto the Lord and bells on the bottom. And they would pray three times a day and they would hire people to come and blow a trumpet in front of them and let everybody know that, hey, I'm praying, look at me. Man, they were religious to the max. They make all of us in here look like pagans. And to say to them that you were dead in trespasses and sins, these people took huge offense at this. You don't understand. I'm holy and I'm living good and God is pleased with me based on my performance. You know, the people who get really mad when you preach on the grace of God in the new covenant, religious people who have all of these good works behind them because you in a sense are telling them that I'm not any better than the lost man out here, than the guy who hasn't gone to church, who hasn't paid his tithes, who hadn't studied the word. You mean God loves them just as much as he loves me. All of my holiness doesn't give me any extra pull with God. And that's offensive to a religious person because you have to quit trusting in your goodness. You might be better than I am, but who wants to be the best sinner that ever went to hell? All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. None of us deserve anything. And Jesus came preaching that it didn't matter. He fellowshipped with the harlots, with publicans, with sinners. And man, the religious people just gave him a hard time for it. And he says, Look, it's not the well that need a physician, it's the sick. I came to save these people. He loved the harlot, the prostitute, he loved the thief. The liar, the murderer, just as much as he loved the godly, religious people. And the truth is, the ground is all equal or level at the gra- at the cross. Nobody is closer to God. Nobody has a step up on another one. All of us have sinned and come short. There is still great benefit to you living a holy life. You won't have as much persecution from people. You won't give inroads to the devil. You won't be locked up and thrown in jail. You won't lose all of your money on booze and dope. You won't hurt your body. There's still benefit to living a godly life, but it doesn't make you closer to God. It'll keep Satan at bay in your life. You don't give him inroad into your life. So I encourage you to live a godly life, but not in order to please God. God is pleased with you based on what Jesus did. Amen. And for Paul to come along and say, you are dead in your trespasses and sins. The religious people, let's just offend them. You don't know who I am. You don't know how holy I am. And it still happens today. There's people that hate me. I have things written about me and said about me because I tell people that God loves you and there's nothing you can do about it. (laughs) You can't make him love you more and you can't make him love you less. God loves you independent of you. Now you can receive his love and benefit from it, or you can ignore it or reject it and go without it and suffer because of it. But God loves you in spite of what you do. And boy, religious people hate that because you know why? It takes away their ability to manipulate and control. They say, unless you come to church, unless you come to this church, unless you pay your tithes, God's going to get you. They aren't preaching about God, the father. They're preaching about the Godfather. (laughs) They say, God won't bless your business. You aren't going to be healthy unless you pay your tithes. And so you got to pay God off. You got to pay him hush money. It's very similar to Guido that comes by and says, there's been a lot of arson in this place. A lot of people's businesses have been trashed. Windows are broken, but if you will pay me, I can protect you. And of course, Guido's the one that goes around burning everybody's place and breaking the windows, and but he's getting hush money. And in a sense, that's the way that the body of Christ has been presented tithing, that you gotta pay God off to keep him off of your case. That is not true. Somebody's, oh, Malachi chapter three, verse eight says, a man robbed God, but you've robbed me wherein have we robbed in tithes and in offerings? And he says, you're cursed with the curse. I bet you most of you have heard this in your church. And yet Galatians 3, 13, Christ redeemed me from the curse of the law. I am redeemed from the curse of Malachi chapter three, verse nine. And if you don't believe that, well, then it says in verse eight, that you've robbed him in tithes and in offerings. It's not only the 10% there's offerings. And if you add all of the offerings up, they come up to over one third of your income. So if you're going to live under Malachi chapter three, verse eight, unless you're paying 30, 33 and a third percent, you're cursed. You need to crawl out from under that old Testament law. We got something better in the new Testament. You are not cursed. Man, I tell you, I I better skip on down. I could preach on this forever, but you were dead. And that's offensive to the religious person who is just thrilled with their performance. In verse 14, blotting out the handwriting of ordinances which was against us. What do you think that's talking about? The law. Blotting out. Did you know back in these days, they didn't have indelible ink. You know what indelible ink is? It's got an acid in it that causes it to sink into the paper and set. But in these days, they didn't have indelible ink, and anything that was written could be blotted out. It could be erased. It could be removed. And this is saying that all of those laws and rituals that were written against us were blotted out. They have been removed. He blotted out the handwriting of ordinances, which was against us. It wasn't really to help you. It was to hurt you and show you your need for God and to basically cripple you so that you could quit. You would quit trying to trust in yourself and realize you just can't do it on your own. And he took it uh, out of the way, nailing it to his cross and having spoiled principalities and powers, he made a show of them openly triumphing over them in it. I got an awesome teaching on that that I'm not gonna tell you about right now, but that is awesome in that verse. Wonderful. In verse 16, it says, Let no man therefore judge you in meat or in drink or in respect of a holy day or of the new moon or of the Sabbath days. He lists five things here. And the Sabbath day was the fourth commandment in the Ten Commandments. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. And there are people today there's entire denominations built around like the Seventh Day Adventist keeping the Sabbath. And they just are adamant about it. And this says, don't let anybody judge you in respect of um in, in judge you in meat or in drink, or in respect of a holy day, or of the new moon, or of the Sabbath days, which are a shadow of things to come, but the body is of Christ. It specifically says that these things were a shadow of something to come, but the body is of Christ. The Old Testament law was a shadow. You know what a shadow does? Like if you could imagine that right now, this is like a corner of a building right here, this pulpit. And you were standing over there and I'm here and you may not be able to see it up here, but there's a shadow that's being cast. And if this was a tall building and you couldn't see me, my shadow would be really beneficial to you. It could tell you about whether I'm standing still or whether I'm moving towards you or whether I'm moving away from you. It could tell you if I'm jumping up and down, if I'm kneeling down, it could tell you if I was carrying something that I was going to hit you with or You know, you could gain a lot of information from my shadow if you can't see me. But if I walk around the corner of this building and now I'm in full sight, we would think you're absolutely crazy if you reached over to shake hands with my shadow or hug my shadow. A shadow is only good if you don't have the thing that is causing the shadow there in its reality. And so before you have the reality, a shadow does a lot of good. But once the reality comes, forget the shadow and start dealing with the reality. And it says that these five things were only shadows. One of them is talking about, don't let people judge you about meats. This is referring to in the Old Testament law, you couldn't eat things like shrimp like oysters. You couldn't eat any shellfish. You couldn't eat bacon. You couldn't eat any pork. Everything had to be kosher. Did you know that the church as a whole doesn't observe those things today? I ate bacon today. I had a second helping of bacon. I love bacon. (laughs) There's nothing wrong with eating bacon. Most of you don't observe that. Most of you eat shrimp and lobster and different things like that that are considered unclean. And you would be defiled and unworthy if you were still living under the law. And we say, well, that's passed away. I agree. And there's some people who are always here says, well, that's the reason that you're sick is because you don't observe all of these laws. God gave these dietary laws for our health reasons. And you've got to go back to the Old Testament and start observing all of these things. Jesus didn't observe it. Jesus ate things that weren't considered kosher. Peter ate things. Matter of fact, the Lord told him that to rise and eat all of these animals that were unclean. And the Lord told him, don't you ever call anything common or unclean. And the, and the thing that seals this is 1 Timothy chapter four, where it says in the last days, there will be doc- people will give heed to doctrines of devils. Teaching to den- Have you got that up there, Lori? First Timothy chapter four, verse one. It says, uh, first Timothy four, one. Now the spirit speaketh expressly that in the latter time, some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their conscience seared with a hot iron, forbidding to marry and commanding to abstain from meats which God hath created to be received with thanksgiving of them which believe and know the truth. And the next verse, for every creature of God is good and nothing to be refused if it is received with thanksgiving and prayer for it is sanctified by the word of God and prayer. That verse says it's a doctrine of the devil to command people to quit eating certain meats. It's a doctrine of the devil. What part of this do we not understand? And yet, some people say, Oh, God gave those dietary laws. We're still supposed to observe them today. They were symbolic, it was a shadow of a New Testament reality. And now, if you tell people that you have to be a vegetarian, that you have to do this, you know, that's wrong. Vegetarian's an old uh, Indian word. Did you know that? It means bad hunter. <laughs> it's a doctrine of the devil to tell somebody that you can't eat meat. I tell people that's not food. That's what food eats. (laughs) It's a doctrine of the devil to tell somebody that if you're a minister and you have your collar turned around backwards, you can't marry. You got to be celibate. That's what First, First Timothy chapter four says. It's a doctrine of the devil, and there's entire denominations today that priests can't marry, and they wonder why they are having so many homosexual problems. Man, God never intended that. Is a doctrine of the devil? Was that too subtle? Anybody miss what I'm saying? It's the devil who told people that it is not a godly doctrine. It is the devil. If you think that you cannot eat certain meats and that you're defiled by them. It's a doctrine of the devil. So I say all this to say back in Colossians two sixteen, it says, don't let anybody judge you about eating meat. And most people will say, oh yeah, that's true. We, don't have, we can eat pork now. We can eat shellfish. We can do things now. Everything is sanctified by God. Nothing to be refused. I agree. Look at the next thing in Colossians chapter 2 and in verse 16. Don't let them judge you and drink. Did you know that there were certain things that you couldn't drink that were forbidden for you to drink? I bet you there's not 10 people in this whole auditorium that know what the Old Testament says about certain things that you couldn't drink. So apparently you don't believe you have to live by that but there were certain things in the Bible that you were forbidden to drink and most people don't even care about it. Well, you know, it's because it was only a shadow. It was a type of something to come. And now we aren't bound by those rules. I agree. The next thing it says, don't let anybody judge you in respect of a holy day. Did you know that there were certain feasts, festivals, that were commanded to observe forever. The Passover was supposed to be observed forever throughout your generations. And if a person didn't observe it, they could be cut off, which in Exodus chapter 22, it makes uh, 32, it makes it very clear that cut off means killed. You could be killed if you didn't keep these feasts. How many of you kept the Passover, kept the Feast of Tabernacles, kept all of these different feasts? Did you know in the New Testament, The Passover has now been fulfilled in Christ. Christ is our Passover sacrificed for us. And when you take communion, you are honoring God through the Passover. You do not have to keep the Jewish Passover. We've been redeemed. It says it was a type, it was a shadow. Now we have the reality and we have more reality in the Lord's Supper than the whole symbolism of the Passover. Thank you for that thunderous silence. (laughs) There's a lot of people today that are wanting to go back and be Messianic Jews. And you know, there's some benefit to going back and seeing what these things stood for. It may help us to understand the reality of the New Testament better. I'm not saying that you don't study those kind of things, but there's a lot of people today that somehow or another believe that if you have a prayer shawl and if you wear a prayer shawl, it makes you much stronger in your prayer and intercession. That's a doctrine of the devil. That you've got to go back and you've got to observe all of the feast days and you've got to go through all of these things. That's the stuff that Paul was trying to get people out of and that's why they persecuted him and put him in prison. And we've got Christians today trying to go back under the law and go back to this religious system that God delivered us from. It's not good. I'm preaching better than you're listening. It says, also don't let any man judge you in respect of the new moon. Did you know that you had to offer certain sacrifices every new moon? Did you do that? That's part of the law. Did you offer a sacrifice last new moon? Do you even know when the last new moon was? (laughs) Well, hey, if you're going to be under the law, why not be under the law? If you're going to be under the law, how can you just pick and choose which parts of the law you want to live by and then let the others go? If you're going to be under the law, then go back to eating certain things. Go back to where you restrict your drink. Go back to where you observe all the feast days. Go back to where you offer a blood sacrifice every new moon. That's part of the law. How can you just pick and choose and decide which parts you want to live under? Amen. It says the next thing or of the Sabbath days. Now, isn't this unusual that the body of Christ as a whole does not observe the meat things. We don't observe the drink restrictions. We don't observe the holy days, the Passover, the Feast of Tabernacles and all of this. We don't observe offering sacrifices on the new moon, but when it comes to the Sabbath, you still, that's still for us today. It says all of these were shadows Of something that was to come, not the very essence of it. That we now have the reality of the Sabbath and you do not have to observe a certain day. I know some people are going to choke over that, but turn over here to Hebrews chapter four and let me share some scriptures with you. It says in verse three, for we which have believed do enter into rest as he said, as I have sworn in my wrath if they shall uh, enter into my rest, although the works were finished from the foundation of the world. This is real wordy in the King James, but it's just talking about that we are entering into this relationship with God that is called the rest. And then he starts talking about the Lord taking a rest on the Sabbath day. It says he rested on the Sabbath day. And it says uh, that we do enter into a rest. And down here in verse nine, it says there remaineth therefore a rest to the people of God. He that is entered into his rest, he also has ceased from his own works as God did from his. Let us labor therefore to enter into that rest. You know, this is using symbolism and because of this, most people don't get it. But this is just saying that there is a relationship with God Where you rest in what He has done and not in what you do. You are at peace. You aren't struggling. The burden isn't on your back to please God. Jesus pleased God, and all you have to do is just rest in Jesus and trust what He has done. And He compares it to a Sabbath rest. And here's what the Sabbath pictured it says, Jesus or God rested on the Sabbath day from Colossians. We know that it was Jesus that created everything. So Jesus or God rested on the seventh day from all of his works. When it says that he rested, does that mean that he was pooped? Does that mean that he had just created so many stars and universes and everything that if he created one more rock, he was going to pass out. He was tired and he had to rest. No, when it says that he rested, it doesn't mean that he was worn out. It means that he was through. It was complete. And it it was like a a lawyer will stand up and say, I rest my case. Is that because he's worn out? He's been talking all morning. No, it means that he's complete. He's he's finished. He's he's done everything. There's nothing left to say. So the defense rests, the prosecution rests. Or it's like a painter. When he gets through, he rests. From his painting, not because that paintbrush was so heavy that he can't lift that paintbrush one more time. It's because his painting is complete. It's perfect. If he adds anything else to it, he's going to ruin it. This is the way that God rested from creation. And I could spend a lot of time on this. I wish I, I had the time to do it, but I encourage you to think about this and get the full revelation. But when God created things, he didn't just say, let there be trees, let there be cows let there be fish, let there be birds. If he would have said that, well then when those things died, he would have had to create more of those. But every time God created something, he not only created the original creation, but he gave everything in creation, the ability to procreate. He said, let there be grass whose seed is in itself. Let the earth bring forth trees whose seed is in itself. He told the animals, be fruitful and multiply. He told us, be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth. By God saying those things, he made it so complete that God has never created another person. He's never created another animal. He's never created another tree, another blade of grass. God created creation in a way that it can procreate. It can continue the creation because he created it so perfect. He anticipated everything. And when he created Adam and Eve, did you know that there was a reason that he created mankind on the sixth day and towards the end of the sixth day? In the first part of the sixth day, he created the animals that creep on the earth. And it was the latter part of the sixth day that he created mankind. In Genesis chapter one, you can see this. It's significant because if he would have created man on the first day of creation, did you know that he didn't create the dry land until the third day? Man would have had to have dog paddle for three days before there was any land to stand on. And then he created all of the trees and the mountains and everything. And man would have been dodging these trees as they came up and stuff. It wasn't ready for him. And when God created man, he had already created all of the trees and all of the fruit. He didn't create the trees that were little tiny seeds and they had to grow up. He created them full grown with fruit on them and seeds in them. And when man was created, he didn't have to wait for seven years for fruit to be produced. It was already produced. The climate was perfect. There was dry land for him to stand on. He already had created oxygen. He created enough oxygen in the beginning to last. Now we've got over 7 billion people on the planet and there's no shortage of oxygen. Did you know that there was enough oxygen for over 7 billion people when Adam and Eve were here? He created such an abundance. This is why I'm against all this stuff on global warming and everything is because that is under a concept, a paradigm paradigm that mankind is so powerful that we can do all this. God has anticipated anything that man will ever do. And he created this earth and it is going to sustain us. And the Bible makes it clear that it is not global warming or something else. that's going to end us. It's going to be him bringing his wrath and judgment on this present age. And it's not going to end through some of these other things. It's an unscriptural, unbiblical uh, concept. So God anticipated everything. And when Adam and Eve were created, it was perfect for them. They didn't have to go plant a tree. They didn't have to wait for the fruit to grow. They didn't have to wait for something to happen. They just reached out and took, you know, a banana and said, thank you. Everything was done. In a sense, you could say that the moment God created Adam and Eve, he rested because it was complete. And man entered into that rest where everything was provided, everything was done. And they just reached out and received it. And then God rested and man entered into that rest. And this is what the Sabbath was a picture of. All of the people of the earth were working six days, or excuse me, seven days out of the week, Working from daylight until dark as hard as they could, trying to overcome the curse and produce. And here comes the Jews, God's people, and they take one day out of seven off. Did you know that the world would look at that and think, You can't prosper because you aren't working as much as we are? And yet the Jews prospered more than the people who worked seven days out of the week. How could that be? Because they were resting in God, they were trusting God and honoring him and following his instructions. And because of that, God blessed them more than the people who were working harder. It wasn't just their effort that produced it. It was their trust in God and God multiplied their work because they were resting in him. That's what the Sabbath pictured. And if anybody missed that, You can turn over to Leviticus chapter 25 and in Leviticus 25, you were not only commanded to take one day out of seven off, you were commanded to take one year out of every seven off and you couldn't sow any crops and you couldn't go out and gather crops that grew naturally. You had to leave all of the stuff that grew for the poor of the land and for the beast of the field and you couldn't eat anything. You couldn't work or do anything during that seventh year. Now, if you miss the one day out of every week, you couldn't miss one year out of seven off. How were you going to live? And around Leviticus 25, I forget the exact verse, 20 something. It says, if the people shall say, what will we eat in the seventh year? Then God said, that on the sixth year, I'll bless you with three times a normal increase. And it'll carry you through the sixth year, through the seventh year when you aren't working. And then through the eighth year while you're sowing your crops and getting ready to reap them. And just like clockwork, God would bless them on this sixth year with three times a normal crop. It wasn't natural. It was supernatural. There's so many things you can learn from this. This is what finances, giving is all about. People say, if I don't have enough now, and this is my goal over there, and if I don't have enough now, if I give, I'm moving away from that goal. That would be true if there wasn't a God who promised that when you give, it'll be given unto you. But just like his people, when they would take one out of seven years off, God would bless them with triple a normal harvest, and they would have more abundance with taking one year out of seven off than they would when they kept it. If you would honor God with your giving and trust him and follow his word, God would bless you more and you would have more through giving away than you would ever have by keeping. But all of this was about trusting God. And this is what the Sabbath was a picture of. And that's the reason that it relates this rest in Hebrews chapter four to the Sabbath. Sabbath that we're entering into a rest. Just like when God said that he rested on the seventh day, that's what the new Testament reality is. A person who now understands the true gospel and understands the new covenant and is not trusting in their goodness and thinking that God owes something to them because they have done this and this and this. And now God, you've got to move in my life. But if you have entered into the gospel and if you are trusting Jesus and saying, it's not about what I do, it's because of my faith in Jesus, I'm resting in him, I'm trusting in him, then you are a Sabbath keeper. You are doing the real thing. The body is all about Christ and you can be free from the symbolism of observing a certain day and not doing any work. Now we've got the reality. I can say it this way, that people who honor Jesus and truly put their faith in Him are Sabbath keepers. People who keep a certain day and won't do certain things because it's a certain day of the week, they are the true Sabbath breakers. That's not honoring Jesus. That's not entering into the rest. I can tell that really blessed you. Some of you are just swallowing hard about how can this be? I'm sharing scriptures with you. It's what the scripture says. This is what the Sabbath was a picture of. Colossians 2.15, it was a shadow of something to come. I'm telling you that the Sabbath pictured a relationship where it was all about Jesus and what Jesus did and not what you do. And if you were trying to live by the 10 commandments, the Sabbath has been fulfilled in Christ and you are gonna try and observe certain laws. And don't think that I'm upset at you. I did all of these things. When I was a kid, when I first got turned on to the Lord, I not only wouldn't work on the Sabbath, but I wouldn't go to a business or a restaurant that was open on the Sabbath during the week. I would look and if they were open on Sunday, I wouldn't go during the week. I, would, I drove an extra 40 miles to go to church and, pay and, and uh, avoided toll roads because I was helping somebody work on the Sabbath. And I would drive around. I did all of those things thinking I was honoring God until I found out that that is not what the Sabbath is. That observance of a day and these strict rules that were enforced by death. If you didn't keep the Sabbath, you could be killed. They were symbolic of a relationship that we now have with Jesus. And I didn't understand that. And God loved me in spite of it, but I was hindered because I didn't understand that. So I'm not mad at you if you are a Sabbath keeper. Also, let me point this out. Did you know that the Sabbath isn't Sunday? The Sabbath begins on, Saturday, on Friday evening and goes to Saturday evening. It is not Sunday. I think that the reason, this is just andeology, but I think that the reason that the church meets on Sunday is because the New Testament church understood what I've just said. They got into the reality of resting in Christ and they realized they were free from the Old Testament Sabbath, which was the fourth of the 10 commandments. This is a big deal. One of the big 10 And they quit observing the Sabbath and meant specifically on the first day of the week to declare their freedom from the law and from the old covenant and to show that they had a new relationship with God and made a clean break from the Jewish traditions. Man, that's awesome. So, you know, I got all of that by saying that Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Did you know that this, when he used the term gospel, they under, oh, so you're one of those that doesn't keep the Sabbath? You're one of those that don't believe we should kill our children if they ever speak back to us? You're one of those that doesn't believe in enforcing the law. You're one of those that doesn't want to stone a woman to death if she's caught in the very act of adultery. That's what they accused Jesus of in the eighth chapter of John. Man, when he said gospel, it wasn't a cliche in their day. It meant you're one of these guys that no longer believes you have to keep all of these 10 commandments and that God loves you proportional to your goodness and that you can just receive from God because of what Jesus did. Even if you are the sorriest person that has walked on the earth, you could have a relationship with God because Jesus did it. Man, this was offensive to people. And this is what Paul was talking about. I'm not ashamed of telling you that it's not my goodness that makes God love me, but it is my receiving of his son. It's me humbling myself and receiving that sacrifice that has endeared me to God. It is not my goodness. I might have goodness compared to some of you relative to your works. But relative to God's standard, I've sinned and I've come short and I don't deserve God to love me. God doesn't love me because I'm lovely. He loves me because he is love. You know, it's just like if somebody walked in here with a machine gun tonight and says, all right, and they lock all the doors and they get you and they say, I'm gonna kill any person that can't jump. Some of you might think, oh man, I can jump. I'll, I'll be able to escape this. But then they say, all right, you got to jump and touch the ceiling. Some of you might be able to jump higher than others. There may be some of you that can't get off the ground, but I don't care if you're Michael Jordan, you can't jump and touch this ceiling. And you know what? If that's what it is, you'd have to just say, oh, please have mercy on me. And they said, that's what I was after right there. And see, this is what the law did. There were certain people who think, well, I'm not like this old publican over here. I fast twice in the week. I'm holy. I'm so good. I think God can accept me based on my goodness. God says, you think you're good? Let me show you my standard. You've got to do this and this and this. And he gave all of these laws, not so that you could keep them. You couldn't ever keep the law. He gave them to you to raise the standard so high that you say, if that's what you demand, oh, have mercy on me. And he says, that's what I was after. The law was to drive you away from self-righteousness so that you would quit trying to please God by your performance. And it would make you say that if this is your standard, God have mercy on me, a sinner. That was the purpose of the Old Testament law. And if you use it for that purpose to show a person their, their self-righteousness and to drive them to God, then that's okay. But the problem is when you take people who've already accepted Jesus and then you tell them that you've also got to please God by your performance and you try and mix the law and grace and that is deadly. It can't be any combination of the two. So this is what Paul is talking about. I am not ashamed of the gospel. Boy, radical statement. Did you know most people today are ashamed of the gospel? First of all, most people today don't know what the word gospel really means. But if they do understand the grace of God, they're ashamed of it because they're afraid that people are going to criticize them for saying that, you know, it's not your goodness, it's not your holiness, and you will be criticized. I've had lots of people say some terrible things about me because I talk about the goodness of God and that God loves you in spite of who you are. And the religious people just hate that. And he says, I'm not ashamed of that because it is the power of God. And I haven't got time tonight. I'll just mention this. We'll continue tomorrow. But if you are lacking power in any area of your life, it's because you don't have a full revelation of the gospel. The gospel is the power. Specifically, the fact that God loves you completely independent of what you deserve. It is all about what Jesus did and not what you do. This is how Satan... Hinders us. He can't accuse Jesus. Satan's not going to come to anybody and say, Oh, Jesus really doesn't have any power. Jesus really wasn't that powerful. Jesus couldn't raise anybody from the dead. He couldn't heal you. He couldn't bless you. He couldn't deliver you. The devil is the accuser of the brethren, not the accuser of God. If you're truly born again, you know that God is God, Jesus is God, and He can do anything He wants to. Where Satan is defeating people is he says, sure, God can do it, but he won't do it for you, you sorry thing. And you immediately know, oh, you know what? I know I'm not doing everything I should. And you quit believing in the goodness of God, not because you doubt his ability, but you doubt his willingness to use his ability because you know you aren't worthy. That's the Old Testament law. That is not the gospel. If you could understand that every sin you have ever committed, that you are committing or you ever will commit has already been wiped away and already been removed. If you got a full revelation of that, Satan's guilt and condemnation would have no place in your life. Hallelujah. You'd be like Teflon. Nothing would stick. You know, the Bible says, agree with your adversary quickly while you're in the way. I admit that this has taken a little bit of liberty, but you can remember it this way. One of the ways to do that is when the devil comes and says, you sorry thing, what makes you think God would use you? Just agree with him. Say, you know what? You're right. I don't deserve a thing. I think I'll just pray and get it in the name of Jesus. I think I'll put my faith in Jesus instead of in myself. Agree with your adversary and just say, you're right. I don't deserve it. And quit arguing with him and trying to say, I'm better than I was last week. I've lost two pounds. I'm better than, I'm doing better. I hadn't done, I hadn't cussed in a week. I'm better. The moment you start trying to justify yourself, the devil's got you because I can guarantee you, he will find something. There is something about you that's wrong. Somebody's probably thinking, well, you don't know me. (laughs) You don't know you. I can guarantee you, we are loved by God, completely independent of anything we did to cause that love. He loves us because he is love. And he sent his son while you were still a sinner and died for you and commended his love towards you. And if you receive Jesus, then you receive all of the goodness of God. I don't care how sorry you are. And the religious people just cannot accept that. And there's people that will criticize me and say, so you're just encouraging sin. I'm not encouraging sin. Sin will take you further than you want to go, cost you more than you want to pay and keep you longer than you want to stay. (laughs) Romans chapter six, verse 16 says, know ye not that to whom ye yield yourselves servants to obey his servants, ye are to whom ye obey, whether of sin unto death or of obedience unto righteousness. God loves me independent of my performance. But does that mean that I can just go live in sin because God loves me whether I, live holy or not. God will still love me, but if I go out and rob a bank, they're going to catch me and put me in prison and I'll be rotten in a cell and God will just love me and think I'm awesome <laughs> as I rotten cell. There are consequences to your sins. You go out and you be mean to people and say terrible things to them and you're going to have a hard time keeping friends, keeping a job, keeping a marriage. There are consequences for you living like the devil, but you know what? God will love you while you're divorced. God will love you when you're on unemployment because nobody will hire you. You go out and live in sexual sin and you get AIDS and you get diseases transmitted through sexual disease. And you know what? God loves you the whole time that your body is being eaten up with that sickness. He's not mad at you. He's looking at you in the spirit, not based on your actions and based on your thoughts. God's love will be consistent towards you regardless of your actions, but you're just plain stupid if you go live in sin. If you never go to church again, did you know God would love you exactly the same? And see, a lot of people will start fighting against me here because they'll say, now, wait a minute. If you tell people that they won't come to church, we tell people that if you don't come to church, God won't bless you. God won't use you. God won't answer your prayers. And they use this fear of rejection as manipulation control to get people to do the right things. And man, the moment I start saying that God loves you, if you ever go to church again or not, man, many pastors just panic. Like, why would they come to church if you tell them that? Maybe it's because they love God <laughs> instead of being afraid of him. I admit that it's a little different to motivate people by love instead of by fear, but it's a lot better. If you never go to church again, God will love you just the same, but you're stupid if you don't go to church. The Bible says you need to exhort one another daily while it is called a day. You aren't gonna hear on television unless it's, a godly program, the things that I've said here tonight. You need to come to a place where people are teaching the Word of God and talking about the Word of God and where you can get fellowship with brothers and sisters. If you don't go to church, God loves you the same, but you're just stupid if you don't go to church. But I'm trying to get it across that God loves you, stupid. God's not mad at you. You can be stupid if you want to, and God still loves you, amen, amen. Some people think I'm mad at you or something. I'm just trying to be blunt. We got so much religious stuff to chop through that I hadn't got time to sneak up on you and make and try and get you to maybe Do you think he was saying this? If you've missed what I'm saying tonight, you just your elevator didn't go all the way to the top floor, amen. I'm telling you, I'm just making it clear that we're just trying, I'm trying to be blunt and get the point across. It's not because I don't love you, it's because I'm trying to get the truth across. God loves you, and there's nothing you can do about it. Now, there's things that you can do that will help you to receive it and understand it. You ought to study the word, not because God is keeping track of your Bible study. And if you get so many hours worth of Bible study in, you can cash that in for one answered prayer. (laughs) He gives out stars. And if you have so many stars, you can get a, you know, a answered prayer or something. that's basically the way people think. No, God loves you if you never read the Bible again. But if you don't read the Bible, you won't love God because you won't renew your mind and you won't understand these things. So instead of reading the Bible to God, did you see me read the Bible? Now will you answer my prayer? Now will you be pleased with me? You need to start accepting that God's pleased with you because you put faith in Jesus. But Father, I'm going to read the Bible because I need to renew my mind. Something is wrong with the way I'm thinking. Things aren't working good. As a man thinks in his heart, so is he and things aren't working right. So God, I'm getting into the Bible not to impress you, but to change my thinking. I study the word a lot, but not to make God love me, but to make me love God and to understand what he's done for me. I pray a lot, but I don't pray because God, I have to pray for God to be accepted with me. I pray because I love God. And man, I enjoy visiting with God. Just like that song that Jill sang, my favorite thing to do is to spend my time with you. Man, it's awesome. I love God and spend time with him because I love him. Not because I'm trying to get him to love me. I go to church because church is good for me and I get challenged and I hear things that build me up and I like to hear other people besides me talk about the word of God. And so I go because it helps me, but God loves me whether I go to church or not. Amen. Amen. Somebody's thinking, man, if you... You take away this motivation of fear from people and they're just going to go live like the devil. You know, there's some people that will because they never really loved God in the first place. And it was only fear that was making them do the right thing. But you know what? God looks beyond your actions and he looks at your heart. And if you were doing the right thing with the wrong heart, God wasn't pleased with it in the first place. I had a friend of mine in Chicago preach... And he was preaching along these lines and he says, you don't go to hell for smoking. He says, you'll smell like you've been there, but you don't go to hell for smoking. he says, God loves you if you smoke or don't smoke. And when he took the stigma off and said that God loves you, guess what? The next week, half of the deacons were standing out in front of the church smoking. (laughs) And some of the people who were critical came to him and said, pastor, see what you did? see what's happening now they're smoking. And he says, go out there and take a survey and ask them how many started smoking since I preached that message. And did you know there wasn't a single one that started smoking? They had already been smoking. They were just hiding it and being hypocrites about it. Now they were no longer under condemnation. They got it out in the open and that's the first step to getting free is getting rid of that guilt and condemnation. You aren't going to make people sin through preaching on grace. Amen. But what you will do, you'll free them from condemnation. And if condemnation is the only reason, if they didn't love God, and if the whole time they wanted to be an adulterer, if the whole time they wanted lying still, then you know what? They might go out and do some of those things because now they don't have the fear that is dominating them. But you won't make anybody who really loved God quit loving God by preaching on grace. You won't make people go live in sin. Preaching on grace doesn't set you free to sin. It sets you free from sin, from the guilt and the condemnation. And it allows you to enter into a relationship with God where you start experiencing His joy and His peace. And you love that so much that you just want to live for Him. You know what? It's better living for God than living in sin. The way of the transgressor is hard. I don't understand why people are so drawn towards, you know, like getting drunk. Why would you want to get drunk? And then the next day puke your guts out and lose all of this money. I just don't see the logic in it. Why would you want to do dope and get high that is going to cause you to do stupid things and hurt your body and cost you money and be a stigma and and destroy relationships and on and on and on. It's crazy. I tell you what, when you start telling people about the love of God, people can get high on Jesus. They can drown their problems in Jesus. They don't have to take some pill. They just take the gospel, amen, and that's better than anything else. And Man, living for Jesus is the best way to live. It's not something that you have to force yourself in. When you tell people how good God is, they will run to Him and they will serve God out of love and joy instead of out of fear. Fear has torment, 1 John 4, 18. Whoever uh, fears is not made perfect in love. Once you understand how much God loves you, you will quit fearing and you'll serve Him out of joy and out of peace. And man, it'll be awesome. I highly recommend you understanding the true gospel. It's the power of God to salvation. Man, that's awesome. You know, if there's anybody here tonight who doesn't know Jesus personally, I've preached the gospel tonight. It's not about your goodness. You may be the pillar of the church, you may be a very good person. You may have been baptized when you were a child, you may have trusted in the fact that you have an attendance record or whatever it is. But did you know what? That is not salvation. Salvation is accepting what Jesus did for you. And and your goodness doesn't make you any closer to God than the rapist, the murderer. It may keep you out of jail. It may keep you from suffering some things in the natural realm. There are still reasons to live a godly moral life. But as far as God is concerned, it's all about whether you've put faith in Jesus. If you've never done that, you ought to do that tonight. Mm -hmm because that's what salvation is. There's going to be multitudes, millions of religious people in hell because they didn't trust Jesus. They were trusting in their goodness. That's a sad thing to think that somebody would go to church their entire life, believe that God exists, believe that Jesus is the son of God, but put their faith in themselves instead of in a savior. And there's going to be millions of Christians do that because we have not heard the true gospel. If you haven't done that tonight, you ought to receive Jesus and put your faith into Him. And then once you get born again, you need the baptism of the Holy Spirit and speaking in tongues, one of the gifts of the Spirit that the Holy Spirit gives. We've had, what was it, 190 people that have come forth in two meetings to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Thank you, Jesus. We've had 13 people receive the greatest miracle of salvation. But I don't want to let anybody go without the opportunity of you being born again and baptized in the Holy Spirit tonight. And let me just add one one more reason for you to receive the Holy Spirit. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 2.14 that the natural man cannot receive the things of the Spirit of God because they are foolishness unto him. Neither can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. The things that I've talked about tonight are counterintuitive. It's against your normal way of thinking. You cannot understand and retain the truths that I've talked about tonight without the Holy Spirit giving you this revelation. And this is one of the greatest things that happens when you receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. When I received the Holy Spirit, it's like the Bible became brand new because I had the person who wrote it living on the inside of me. And I couldn't open up the Bible without it just yelling at me. It came alive. If you don't have the baptism of the Holy Spirit and this gift of speaking in tongues, you are gonna struggle, struggle, struggle trying to understand and retain what I've talked about tonight. The best thing you can do is receive this baptism of the Holy Spirit. And when you do, it'll just make the Word of God come alive and you can begin to start comprehending these things. So is there anybody here tonight who would say, I need one or both of those. I either need to be born again make Jesus, put my faith in Jesus, and or I need the baptism of the Holy Spirit in this ability to speak in tongues. Is there anybody here like that tonight? If that's you, I want you to raise your hand. Praise God, we got still got hands all over this building. Isn't that awesome? Thank you, Jesus. I know some of you are thinking, well, they don't preach this in my church. I'm not sure. Well, that's the reason I'm not in your church. But I'm telling you, I am sure about this. I'm absolutely sure about the baptism of the Holy Spirit and speaking in tongues. It is not of the devil. You don't go into bars and hear people speaking in tongues. It's of God. If you raised your hand or if you were supposed to raise your hand but didn't do it, would you just come down here and let me pray with you? And We want to help you to receive here tonight. Come forward right now and let us pray with you and help you to receive. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Man, this is great. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Awesome, awesome, awesome. I believe that this is going to change your life. You know, the baptism of the Holy Spirit changed my life more outwardly than being born again. Now, being born again is the most important thing. But as far as outwardly your ability to manifest the power of God, the baptism of the Holy Spirit will change you more than anything else. Jesus said you receive power after the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And I tell you, this is going to make a huge, huge difference in your life. Before I can pray with you to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit, you first of all have to be born again. You have to make sure that your faith is in Jesus and not in yourself for your salvation. You have to have a Savior. And I've explained this quite a bit tonight, so I won't spend a lot of time on it. But is there anybody down here? who hasn't done that or you aren't sure whether you've done it. I need to pray with you first and make sure that your faith is totally in Jesus. Cause the Bible says Jesus is the one that gives the Holy Spirit. You can't receive the gift until you receive the giver. Is there anybody who needs to pray with me and just make sure that Jesus is your personal savior, that you've put faith in him? Anybody, if that's you right, here's one. Anybody else? Here's another one right here. Anybody else? Here's another one and another one. You know, it's amazing to me. It's amazing to me how it takes people time to think about this because you either are or you are not born again. You aren't in the process of being born again. And the Bible says that when you pass from death unto life, you have a witness in yourself and you know that you've passed from death unto life. So this ought to be something that is really clear Either you have had an experience and you know that you are born again and that you've been changed at your heart level or you don't know that. Maybe you want it, maybe you desire it, but if you don't know it, then you need to pray and make sure that you have been born again and that Jesus is your Lord. Anybody else who hasn't raised your hand that you want to get in on this? Here's one right here. Anybody else? Praise God. So that's, I think, five people. What I'm going to do here is, is he raising his hand for salvation? Amen. How old are you? Did you know I was eight when I got born again and I got saved? (laughs) Amen. I believe you're getting saved tonight. Isn't that good? Awesome. So here's six people. What I want to do, I'm going to lead you in a prayer that is consistent with... Romans 9, it says, if you shall confess with your mouth, the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. He's already paid for your sins. You don't have to pay for him. He's done it. It's now, will you make him your Lord? Will you accept it? Will you put your faith in him? You've got to, you got to say this with belief in your heart. The next verse says, for with the heart, man believes. It can't just be mouthing the words. You have to mean it. But if you really are willing to turn your life over and say, Jesus, I make you my Lord. I trust you, not my goodness, but your goodness. If you're willing to do that, you can be totally changed on the inside and become a brand new person. Isn't that awesome? Man, that is awesome. So here's what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna lead you in a prayer and I'm gonna ask you to pray this prayer after me. And I'd like to ask everybody to pray with us so that they won't feel like we're listening to them. And if you will say these words, you don't have to say these exact words, but this is just a sample prayer of things that you need to do. And if you will pray this and mean it in your heart, you'll be born again right now on the spot. You'll be forgiven of all sins, become a brand new person on the inside. Isn't that awesome? Praise God. Let's just say this. Say, Father, I'm sorry for my sin. I believe Jesus died to forgive my sin. And I receive that forgiveness. Jesus, I make you my Lord. I believe that you now live in me. I am saved. I am forgiven. In the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen you believe that? Do you believe that? Awesome. Awesome. Praise God. You know, if you prayed that prayer and believe it, then you became a brand new person. On the outside, you're still a man or you're still a woman. But you know what? In your heart, you are completely brand new. The Bible says you're a new creature that never existed. And the rest of the Christian life is changing your thinking. So that it can line up with what's happened in your spirit. And that's what the word of God does is help you. And so according to the scripture, it says that now every person who's prayed that prayer, which is every person up here now, according to the scripture, that says that you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And that's really important because that means that this is what God made you for. These that just prayed this prayer, you in your spirit were created right now to be a dwelling place for the Holy Spirit. This is what God made you for. So you don't have to wonder about, will he come? This is what you were created for. God wants you to have the Holy Spirit more than you want to have him. So you don't have to beg God. Some people believe you got to just pray and bawl and squall and cry. All you got to do is open up the door to this temple just a little bit and give him freedom to come in. He won't force himself upon you. You have to invite him in. So what we're going to do, I'm going to lead you in a prayer and we're just going to real simply invite the Holy Spirit to come dwell on the inside of you and give you his power. And then I'm going to ask our prayer ministers to come up here and lay hands on you. They're going to stand behind you because the Bible says that when you lay hands on people, that the Holy Spirit can be released into them. So these are people that all have the baptism of the Holy Spirit and speak in tongues and they're gonna come up and after I pray for you, they're gonna lay hands on you and release the Holy Spirit. And at that time when they lay hands on you, I want you to quit asking for the Holy Spirit and believe that God did what he promised he would do. He said in Luke 11:13, 13, if you being evil know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more will the heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? So all you got to do is ask and he promised he'd give. So we're going to ask, they're going to lay hands on you and then I want you to start thanking God that he gave you the Holy Spirit. I don't care what you feel like. Some people have great emotion. When I first received the baptism of the Holy Spirit, I didn't feel a thing, but man, I got the baptism of the Holy Spirit and I can speak in tongues. So it doesn't matter whether you feel anything. He promised he'd give the Holy Spirit to you. So after they lay hands on you, I want you to start thanking him like you believe he really gave you the Holy Spirit. And at that time, after they lay hands on you, I want you to put your hands up like this because the Bible says that when you lift up your hands, you bless the Lord. It's a way of saying, I surrender. Just like when somebody sticks a gun in your back and you go, I surrender. This is your way of yielding. So I'm gonna lead you in prayer. They're gonna lay hands on you. Then you're gonna lift your hands, start thanking God for giving you the Holy Spirit. And then those of us that have this baptism of the Holy Spirit and speak in tongues, we're going to start praying in tongues because the Bible says when you pray in tongues, you give thanks well. We're going to start thanking God for giving you the Holy Spirit. And as we pray in tongues, I want you just to pray with us and start speaking in tongues. It's really that simple. Then I've got a book I'm going to give every one of you that will explain this and any questions you have about it. But the number one thing that hindered me and most people is that they think that the Lord is going to force you to speak in tongues. They just open their mouth and wait on the Holy Spirit to make it move. And that's not how you speak in tongues. The Bible says in Acts 2, 4, they spoke with tongues as the Spirit gave them the utterance. It's like when I tonight. I believe that God spoke through me, but he didn't force me to say it. I thought of the words. It was me talking under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. That's the way speaking in tongues is. You have to make sounds. You have to, by faith, begin to start putting forth syllables that you don't understand what they are and just believe that the Holy Spirit is inspiring it And after you get over the newness of it, he will confirm to you that it's inspired and led by the Holy Spirit and it'll be a powerful, powerful experience. But that's what you've got to do. You can't talk in tongues with your mouth closed. You're going to have to open your mouth and make a sound. Amen? Are you all ready to do that? The Bible says believers will speak with new tongues. I want you to say, I'm a believer. And I will speak in tongues. Father, I thank you for all of these and thank you that they are now born again, that we are the temple of the Holy Spirit, that you created us to fill with your power. So we open up our hearts right now and we welcome the Holy Spirit to come into these temples. Holy Spirit, we want you to live in us and give us this gift of speaking in tongues and all of the other gifts. We want your power in our life that it's no longer us living, but it's you. We want the ability to have spiritual understanding and for you to reveal the truths of the Word of God to us. So we open up our lives and Holy Spirit, come and dwell in us right now in Jesus' name. We lay hands on you and say, receive the Holy Spirit in the mighty name of Jesus. We loose this power into you right now. And Holy Spirit, we believe that you flow right through us through our hands into these people and that right now the power of the Holy Spirit comes within every single person. Thank you, Father, for giving us the Holy Spirit. Now, I want you to lift those hands and go to thanking God that he gave you the Holy Spirit talk out loud. Thank you, Jesus, for giving me the Holy Spirit. Thank you that I am God-possessed. Thank you that your power is now flowing in me, and I'm getting supernatural revelation, spiritual revelation. And now, those of you that know how to pray in tongues, let's pray in tongues. And as we speak in tongues, you speak with us. Just begin to start speaking right now in the name of Jesus. You know what? If you don't know how to, what to say, you can try and say what you hear the person behind you saying. But your tongue will be unique to you. It'll be different. You can't say the same things that somebody else is saying. It'll come out different, but it'll get you to talking. And once you start talking and it comes out different, just keep talking. Don't quit. Don't worry about what it sounds like. It's like a little baby when they first talk. It doesn't sound like a real language, but that father knows what that kid is trying to say. Your heavenly father is listening to your heart. And even if it's not fluent, man, your father's inhabiting your praises right now. Let's just pray. Be bold, talk out loud. Boy, many, many, many of these are praying in tongues. Isn't that great? Power of the Holy Spirit. God is speaking through you. You're bypassing your brain. You're talking from your born again spirit. That's the reason it's so powerful. It's not your intellect praying. It's your spirit man praying. My Bible says that you're praising God. You're bypassing all of the doubt and the unbelief that's in your brain. All of your questions, all of your intellect that hinders you, and you're praying out of that born-again part of you. Man, it's powerful. Let's just keep praying. You can pray. You don't have to wait on some feeling or some anointing. You can just speak in tongues. Mm -hmm. Thank you, Jesus. Man, that's awesome you know what? You don't understand fully what's happening to you, but this is a powerful, powerful experience. Let me have your attention here for just a minute. I'm sorry to interrupt you, but I need to explain some things. You know, whether you spoke in tongues or not, I believe God gave you the Holy spirit because he promised that he would. So I believe that he gave you the Holy spirit. But you know what? You have to cooperate to speak in tongues. The first time that I prayed for the baptism of the Holy Spirit, I didn't speak in tongues. And it took me three and a half years to speak in tongues. But that's because I was a Baptist. And I thought that this was of the devil. And I had so much fear about it that it just clogged me up and wouldn't let me do it. But I knew it was of God. I kept seeking. I finally got my questions answered. And I've written a book about this. I've written a book about what true salvation is. So for those of you who prayed to make Jesus your personal Lord tonight, it'll explain that, what true salvation is. And it also explains the baptism of the Holy Spirit and all of the problems that I had speaking in tongues. I don't think anybody ever struggled with speaking in tongues more than I had. So... I've had thousands of people read this book and speak in tongues after reading it. So I want to give this book to every one of you because you need to understand what's happening. Plus, you need to understand what's going on when you speak in tongues. It's more than something you do just to prove that you got the Holy Spirit. It's a tool that it's just like flipping a switch that turns on the power of God on the inside of you. It is really important, but it won't work that way unless you understand it. So this book... We'll explain it completely. And I'd like to give every one of you a free copy of this because this could be the greatest experience you've had outside of being born again. Amen. It's really, really important. Thank you, Jesus. So this is Robert right here in the aisle. He's the one that's got his Bible up, waving it. And we've got a room just right across the hall where we've got these books and people that want to minister to you. So if you would follow him for just a moment, we want to give you a book. And if you have any questions about any of this, there's people there that will answer your questions and help you. So please take just a moment to go get it. We always have somebody that feels they don't need the book, but you know what? You need it. It'll help you. So please take advantage of it. So if we could, let's just have all of these people that came forward for the baptism to just follow Robert over there. He's going to give you this book. There's people over there that will pray with you if you need prayer. If you have questions, they'll answer your questions. If any of you struggle to speak in tongues, they will help you to do that. And they'll explain things to you and it'll be a blessing. Thank you, Jesus. Awesome. Awesome. You know, like I was saying tonight out of uh, Romans one sixteen, the gospel is the power of God. If you've really understood, if you were tracking with me tonight, and if you if you understood what I was talking about, some of you now could see the power of God released in you because you no longer are short circuiting it by thinking about, am I worthy? But you would just put your faith totally in Jesus and you could see miracles happen. So that's what all of these people are. These are our prayer ministers. These are people that have been through a training with Ashley and Carly. Ashley and Carly have seen their daughter basically raised from the dead, have seen blind eyes open great miracles and they've trained all of these people how to do this and how to pray. And these people are qualified to lay hands on you and agree with you. And if you have had your faith quickened, if you have something that you need prayer for, I want to ask you to come right now and let one of our prayer ministers just agree with you. And we're going to capitalize on this word that's been sown and we're going to see miracles happen. So if you want something, come forward right now. We've got people standing at the aisles. The purpose of this is to direct you towards a prayer minister so that you won't all go to one side. Please cooperate with them. And if you want prayer for anything, just come forward right now and let someone lay hands on you and pray with you and help you to receive from God a prayer of agreement. This is awesome. I'm going to dismiss the others in just a little bit. We I do pray with these as they do it. And I often call out healings. We saw we called out a lot of healings last night and saw a lot of people instantly healed and so you're welcome to stay and pray with us but if you need to go you're free to go remember that we have the three services that we've already had already duplicated on dvd and cds they're already duplicated they're available out there and please take advantage of them i tell you you aren't going to hear this taught very many times and you need to get hold of this and go over and over and also share this with other people also we've got other kinds of materials Remember that tomorrow we're going to be back at 10 in the morning and then 6 o'clock tomorrow night. It's not starting at 7. It starts at 6 tomorrow night so that my crew can have an extra hour of sleep. And so uh, we'll be back at 6 o'clock tomorrow night. Praise God. Thanks for coming. If you have to go, you're welcome to go. But we're going to stay and pray. You're welcome to stay with us. And we believe God's going to do miracles for all of these people. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Father, we just agree with all of these right now. And we thank you that by your stripes, that they have already been healed, that Jesus has already borne their sickness and their disease. Father, we believe that you've already paid for these. That's the power of the gospel. It's already done. Thank you that it's not based on our goodness. We just receive this because Jesus purchased it. We reject feelings of unworthiness, sin consciousness that would make us think that we are unworthy. Father, we agree with our adversary that we don't deserve this, but we receive it through what Jesus did. In Christ, we deserve it. Our born again person is worthy of receiving this because we've been cleansed and we just reach out and receive all of these healings right now in the mighty name of Jesus. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Jesus. I believe that the Lord is ministering to someone who's had an injury in your head. I think I called this out last night. I forget where I am when I say what, but... It doesn't matter. There's either somebody else or maybe this person didn't receive or whatever, but there's somebody who had an injury to your head. I believe right here on this part of your head and God is ministering a healing to you right now. Who is this? Is this you over here? Are you just praising God or is this you? All right. She's receiving. You know, if you're going to receive this, if you had an injury to your head, I'd like you to stand and raise your hand so I can see who it is that I'm praying for. And I'm going to pray for you. And I believe God's healing power is flowing through you. Here's four people. Thank you, Jesus. Five, six people. Father, I release this healing power right now. And whatever this injury is to their head, in the name of Jesus, I just release your power. I release miraculous working power to restore whatever damage was done to their brain right here. And we command healing. Command pain to be gone any lack of motion or ability to speak or motor skills. We speak the healing power of God and just command this brain to be repaired. Father, I loose your power and thank you for your healing power flowing through them and thank you for miracles, Father, that whatever this damage is, is over. We receive a miraculous manifestation of your power and thank you for healing all of these right now. In the mighty name of Jesus. Thank you, Father. We believe that we receive it right now in Jesus' mighty name. I want you to just go to praising God like you really believe that He healed you. Thank Him that you are healed, whether you feel anything, see anything, or not. Father, we thank you that it's a done deal. We receive this healing. Thank you, Heavenly Father, for healing us. Hallelujah. Somebody here has been struggling with curvature of the spine, scoliosis. Here's a healing power of God flowing towards you. If that's you, I want you to stand. Raise your hand so that I can see who this is. Right here. Anybody else? Here's another lady. Here's some others over here. Praise God. Father, in the name of Jesus, we command this spirit of infirmity to leave these people and be gone off of them right now. Satan, you no longer have the rider or dominion. Loose them and let go of them. Command their backs to straighten up. Command these spines to be straight now in Jesus' name. Right there is the anointing of God. Some of you have had to have your pants at different um, lengths because your spine was so out of line that it threw one hip other Up higher than the other. You're going to have to go get your clothes altered to where they're normal from now on. Amen. God's healing that. Father, we receive it. Thank you that scoliosis is gone, that these backs are straightening up now in the name of Jesus. Praise God. Father, we receive it. Thank you, Jesus. I tell you, that is the power of God. I believe God is healing people of scoliosis, that that's over with now. In the mighty name of Jesus. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Father. Boy, here's a number of people that are being healed of sinus problems, polyps in your nose, congestion, all kinds of things that have to do with your nose, your sinuses. It could be allergies. I think that this is the time of year that pollen bothers people. I don't know. I've never had that problem. I'm not going to have it. But if you've been struggling with this, if you've got sinus, allergies, polyps in your nose, breathing problems here, I want you to stand and raise your hand. Here's the healing power of God flowing towards you right now. Resist these allergies. I know some of you have been raised with it and you, this is just part of life and you've embraced it. You've adjusted. Change that. Get to where you're sick and tired of being sick and tired. Resist this. In the name of Jesus, we rebuke these allergies. We command them to get off of you now in Jesus' name. Satan, you loose us and let us go. We command that sickness to be gone. Command these sinuses to open up. Command polyps to be healed, for those things to disappear now, for allergies to be gone. Father, we receive your supernatural healing power flowing through our bodies right now. Boy, here's the power of God just touching you. Many of you can feel that. Whether you feel it or not, it's happening. But many of you can actually feel the presence of God flowing in your body. Here's your sinuses opening up. Thank you, Jesus. It's over. This is not the way you're going to live any longer. You've been set free by the stripes of Jesus and we just refuse to live below those standards anymore. Never again never again. This is over. Never again. Father, we thank you. We receive these healings and thank you, Father. Hallelujah. How many of you in here already can tell a difference? Maybe your sinus has opened up. Something changed. If you, if you, if that's you, wave at me. Here's a lady waving me. Man, here's a bunches of people. Look at this. Lots of people dozens of people have already seen a physical manifestation. And you know, whether you, whether you still have a a symptom of this or not, Jesus cursed the fig tree and it took about 24 hours for what he had done to become visible. So sometimes it takes a brief period of time, but every one of you, I believe God touched you. And this is just to encourage you that if some have already seen physical manifestations, well then praise God, this same power that we release towards them has also come towards you. And I believe you're healed and praise God, things are changing. You aren't going to be the way that you were before. Thank you, father. Amen. Father, we just thank you. We agree. And we receive that. You know, Lord just spoke to me. Somebody here's got knots on your head. I have no idea what caused that, but if you've got knots on your head, stand up, and raise your hand so I can see who I'm praying for. Here's God healing that. He's going to the root cause of this. Anybody else? I see just one person. Anybody else? Here's another person right here. Here's another person. Father, I release your anointing and whatever causes these knots on their head. We just speak in the name of Jesus. I know that you spoke that to me, that this was a word from you, that you have already healed this. And I command those knots to to dissolve, to be gone. Whatever the problem is, You leave them, get off of their body now in the name of the Lord Jesus. Father, we thank you that this is gone. From this time forth, they don't have those bumps anymore. I loose your anointing, Father, and I believe that those things are dissolving and leaving their body and that they will not have this problem anymore in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Y'all believe that? You're healed. You are healed in Jesus' mighty name. Thank you, Father. Hallelujah. Somebody here has been dealing with an irritable bowel syndrome. God is healing you. I'm not going to say he's going to set you free. That'll be later. Amen. (laughs) But God's healing you. Amen. Who's this that's had an irritable bowel syndrome? If that's you, I want you to stand. You may not want to identify yourself, but do you want to be healed? (laughs) This brother is ready to receive. Father, we thank you. And right now in the name of Jesus, whatever's caused this problem, I just release your healing towards them. Command these bowels to be healed in Jesus' name. Command any infection or disease, whatever causes this, to leave them. We say in Jesus' name that you are healed right now. Here's the power of God flowing through your body. Father, we receive this. Thank you for your healing power. Man, that's a big deal. Some of you have suffered, suffered with this and you're free right now. You have been delivered, healed by the power of God. Father, we agree and we receive that. Here's deafness being open. If you've had problems with your ears, you've heard a number of testimonies about people that have been healed of deafness Here's the healing power of God flowing right now. If, you, if you've had deafness, whether it's total, partial, whatever, I want you to stand and identify yourself. Here's the healing power of God flowing towards you. It could be uh, deafness to certain tones. Maybe you have a limited range of hearing, whatever. If you've got hearing problems, somebody here's got ringing in your ears, you need to stand and receive this right now. Father, in the name of Jesus, whatever these hearing problems are, ears be healed. You spirit of deafness, hardness of hearing, whatever it is, we command you to loose them and to let them go. I command ringing to stop right now in the name of Jesus. Father, I loose your anointing from one end of this building to the other to flow under the power of the Holy Spirit. And change these ears. Ears, you are healed now in Jesus' name. There's ears opening right there. Here's your healing power. Plug up your good ear. Listen through the other ear and you're going to find out that you can hear through it better. Some of you may be gradual, but some of you are receiving that healing right now. All of this hearing problem is gone. Deafness is gone now. Ears have opened up. Who in here can already tell a difference in your hearing? If that's you, I want you to wave your hand at me so I can see that you've already been able to tell a difference in your hearing. Here's a couple right here. Anybody else? Anybody else? Test yourself. Here's the healing power of God right now. Let's just pray in tongues right now. I tell you, God's healing people's ears. There's no reason that you have to leave this place tonight without your perfect hearing. It can happen right now. Right now, just begin to pray in tongues. Test your ears. Here's the healing power of God. Father, we receive this. Thank you that these ears open right now. Nerves, you be healed. I believe that that spirit of deafness is gone and now any damage that it did to the nerves, to the eardrum, to any part of this ear, we just speak healing through these ears now. Ears, you open. You hear now. Command the volume to come up now in the name of Jesus. Command ringing to stop now in Jesus' name. Thank you, Father. Father, we agree and we receive all of these miracles now in the mighty, mighty name of Jesus. Praise God. I believe lots of people are being healed. Anybody else in here? We've already had two people say that you can tell a difference. Anybody else? Anybody else? Wave at me. Here's another one over here. See, the reason I... Here's another one. The reason I encourage you is just to keep on. People just sometimes pray, and if they don't experience it immediately, then they just think, well, I guess God's not healing me. God's already done His part. It's up to us to release it, and you just grab hold of it and keep speaking in tongues, building yourself up, and don't let it go, and you can make hearing come. See, I had you pray just a few minutes more and we doubled the number of people who had already seen a difference in their healing. If you will just keep standing on this and speaking, every one of you can hear perfectly. It's not up to God whether or not you get healed. He put this power on the inside of you. And you need to build yourself up and speak and it'll come to pass. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Father. We just agree and we receive all of these healings now. And Father, we believe that every single thing, all of these healings, every person down here is being healed. That Father, every sickness, every disease is gone, that the lame walk, the deaf hear, the blind see, the dead are raised. Father, we release your power and thank you for this now in the mighty, mighty name of Jesus. Hallelujah. Praise God. Man, that's awesome is awesome. Jesus is alive and well. He's still with us today. Thank you, Father. Praise the Lord. Amen. Well, I feel I've given you everything I've got. Amen. So I'm going to let you go. Remember, we're back at 10 in the morning, 6 tomorrow night. Remember the CDs and DVDs. I think that this series is going to be something that, that is a keeper. If the Lord tarries 20 years from now, you still be getting benefit from this teaching. You need this to be able to renew your mind. So please take advantage of that and all of the other materials out there. And remember, we'll be back tomorrow. So come and be a part of it. God bless you. You're dismissed. We'll have our prayer ministers. They'll stay down here and pray with people until we get every single person prayed for. Amen. So you're welcome to come and receive prayer. Amen.